This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. Citizens, welcome to the Forks of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And we are the Cape Podcasters. And this is the show that's going to talk about Batman with feelings. He's got so many emotions. What's that you have, Batman? Feelings? I like that your Joker is back. I'm so happy I get to do a Joker because today we are talking about 1993's Batman Mask of the Phantasm, directed by... Eric Radomski and Bruce, Tim, both of the fucking variety. Of absolutely the fucking variety. Warner Brothers Animation's best. Absolutely they are. This is pretty much just a long episode of Batman the Animated Series. That's exactly what it is. And man, does that make me happy. It's the greatest thing ever. How could you want anything different? I don't want anything different because this movie is phenomenal. It's so good. Have you seen it before? I actually have never seen it until this moment. You already said it's phenomenal. You got anything else you want to throw out there before we get into this thing about how phenomenal it is? Just so excited to talk about it in its whole, in its entirety. It's like doing an episode of Batman Animation, but long form. This made me miss doing episodes of Batman Animation. And we oh, had to pull too. back on that just a little bit just because we're doing so goddamn much just, that it was just overwhelming. We're like, ah, oh, all right, we got to sacrifice something a little bit here, but. I think stay tuned again on Patreon I mean, coming up I'm soon. in the mood now. Absolutely in the mood. Have you seen this before? Never. And this was the number one movie on my list of I cannot wait to watch this movie. As soon as we started, I was like, oh, I finally get to watch Mask of the Phantasm. It was this and Thor Ragnarok. So now my oh, list I is remember. shorter, but God damn it, man. I'm so fired up to talk about this thing. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's get into it. We start off. It's Gotham in all its classic Tiny Toons colors, except in 3D. That's right. And for those of you who haven't listened to our Batman animation stuff on the Patreon, the color palette for Batman animated series is the Tiny Toons color palette done on black paper. It's also Danny Elfman, except it's not. It's Shirley Walker. Shirley Shirley fucking Walker. Walker. Doing her best Danny fucking Elfman impression. And yeah. landing it. And she's, she's doing a damn good job. She's even included some chanting in there that's just names of other people on the, on the crew backwards. Right. Or as they called it, quote unquote, Latin. Yes. Which is a wonderful way to do it. It's wonderful. It's the opening credits for Batman in the animated series, except it's a movie. I love how much this leans into we're keeping the same tone, but... It's much grander. It's on a bigger scale. They gave us money. We're doing the thing, but with more. Chucky Soul, voiced by Dick Miller, is meeting with his cronies about getting some sweet, sweet counterfeit money into circulation, but the meeting is crashed by Batman. Literally. You feel all comfortable in your skyscraper, and just a cartoon Batman flies right through the window. You're like, oh, son of a bitch. Uh, That's what he does, isn't it? Today was going so well, I had this whole speech planned out after I revealed the counterfeit money, and that asshole just comes right through the window. 
It's very hard to run a criminal enterprise in these parts. Just Gotham in general. It's, yep. Where there's a famous Batman who is just on patrol all the time. Do daylight crimes, guys. I mean, that's probably that easy. He won't bother you then. Also, he hasn't spoken yet, but it's Kevin fucking Conroy. And it absolutely is. He is my Batman. I think what he does in this movie is so much better than what he does in Batman, the animated series. Which is already saying a lot. Which is a lot, because on the TV show, his dialogue is a little bit stunted. He's a little bit wooden, but it's kind of by design to like remind you, this is a exactly. cartoon. This isn't to be taken too seriously. But here, he's acting. He is. It's true. Batman takes out Chucky's goons while Chucky flees to the parking garage. And while he's there, old Chuckster runs into a mysterious figure who at first he's like, Batman, how'd you get here so fast? But it's not Batman. It's not Batman at all. It's some kind of Grim Reaper Ghost of Christmas Future mashup voiced by Stacy Keach. Terrifying. Mostly because of the Stacy Keach. I have an actual IMDb trivia fact for you. I'll allow it. Despite the title... The Phantom is never referred to by name. Sorry, the Phantasm. That's right. I was going to say, the Phantom, Alec Baldwin. Nowhere near this movie. <laughs> no, this I was is a Phantasm. Say, the Phantom of the Parking Garage. That's such a different movie. Just like in general, just if you saw that thing on Broadway, it would, well, I, my secret hope that it would be a lot like a Key and Peele, like parking cars for the oh, most part. Oh, yes. Like, them as the valets. Like, you see that Kevin Conroy? Kevin Conroy is my shit. He's the shit in Phantasm. <laughs> but then with musical numbers, of course. It kind of makes me want a Spider-Man turn off the dark situation, but with Batman and less death. I mean, there has to be some death for it to have that lore. Right. And that allure to get people into the seats. Like, hey, maybe you might leave the theater and have your parents shot tonight. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Wouldn't that be so much fun? That's some sort of like street art. Just, you could just wait out there, and the alley where the, the actors come out at the end of it to sign autographs, it's actually called Crime Alley just for the show. Yes. And every now and then, parents get shot and killed just to really keep everyone on edge and keep that tone alive outside the Schubert. <laughs> Batman on Broadway, colon, the origin story, parentheses, not his, yours. <laughs> it's a long title, yeah, but that's Tony bait. It sure is. Chucky Soul tries to run down the, the Phantasm in his car, but instead he drives right off the edge of the parking garage and into the building across the street, which presumably kills him. Presumably, and very quickly, let's talk about this parking garage. Is it 40 stories up in this building? Yeah, it absolutely is. Because he crashes this car across the street about 30 stories up in this building. Yeah, uh, Gotham. These architects are insane. They absolutely are. Possibly criminally insane, if, if there's anything to go by in that city. Also fair. Batman arrives in the scene just in time for everybody to be like, hey, Batman just killed that guy, and now he's, you know, prime suspect. Because he's known for killing people? No? That's no. never been his MO? I don't think that's ever happened. All right, it's got to be Bullock as the cop who's in charge here. <laughs> the guy who never believes that Batman is doing anything for good. We'll get there very shortly. Yeah, we will. Councilman Arthur Reeves. Voiced by Hart fucking Bachner. Killing it. Are you familiar with Hart Bachner? I'm not. You're about to be. All right. He's given a press conference about Batman's alleged actions, and he's like, Batman, Booby, you're a menace. Is that him? Oh, it's absolutely. Are Alex you kidding from me? From Die Hard is the voice of Councilman Arthur Oh, Reeves. my God. I had no idea. 
And how exciting is that? That just changed this entire movie for the better, and I didn't know that was possible. Reeves is going to demand Batman's arrest, and Commissioner Gordon's like, uh, my Batman wouldn't do that. And of course, it's Bob Hastings from the TV show. Of course. And Detective Harvey Bullock is like, yeah, bring down the bat. And it's also Robert Costanzo from the TV show. I like the carryovers. Meanwhile, Batman's doing his own detective work, analyzing the chemical from the windshield of Chucky Soul's car. And he's like, I didn't kill this guy. I'm trying to figure out who did. But he's doing detective work. I love that he's doing detective work. He's looking at this piece of windshield, and you see it has like this weird texture on it. It's got some goop. Don't say goop. Doesn't <laughs> put right. it into a vagina and it creates sexual, uh, an explosion in his bat loins. <laughs> I don't know what a, a bat goop would do. How have we been bringing up goop so much lately? I, I don't know. Clearly Gwyneth Paltrow has put <laughs> something into her brains. Goop sticks them in ya. Oh, that's so gross. <laughs> but I, I like how he puts this piece of windshield just into the computer, just like a box in the computer. And yeah. then just analyzes it. It's like, well, that seemed easy enough. Bam. All right. Bat computer analyze mode. Sometime later, during a party at Wayne Manor, Arthur's like, Bruce Wayne, booby. Why is your love life <laughs> such shit? What happened to that one girl? Andrea Beaumont? And Bruce is like, wow, you're an asshole. You could take this handkerchief and stick it you know where. That's a direct quote. Batman <laughs> says an up the ass joke. He sure does. And then he leaves his party to stare at a painting of his parents and reminisce. As Batman does. And we get a flashback, the first of many. Of so many. Bruce is being sad, his parents' headstone, like he always does. And he overhears this Andrea Beaumont, voiced by Dana Delaney, talking to her dead mother. Um, I think you meant to say Dana fucking Delaney. I, I believe I to meant to say Dana fucking Delaney. Stop you and Delaney. make sure that we get the right names here. You right. don't want to get sued. It's true. By Warner Brothers. I always miss those middle names, man. They're important. Extremely important. Can you imagine if someone put that on their SAG card just from listening to this show? That would make me the happiest person in the world. We're <laughs> just like, uh, can I see your card just to make sure we get you the right amount of pay for you being a day player here? Okay, it's Kevin fucking Conroy? Okay, Mr. fucking Conroy. <laughs> uh, he's a hyphenate. Yeah, as he should be. So she's talking to her dead mother, like out loud, and he's like, hot. I got to talk to this chick. <laughs> it's weird. He's like, you talk to dead people too? Wow. <laughs> we could totally relate and talk to us, us living folks, but the dead people, they can listen in if they want because it's real hot. Who doesn't love a good graveyard meet cute? <laughs> While they're flirting, he mentions that he made a vow to his parents and that so far he's kept it. But I like how she asks, what's the vow? And he's like, it's a secret. And then they just move on. Vow he doesn't try prying parents. or anything. Just, ah, that's a secret. I'm not going to tell you. I don't even know you. You talk to dead people. <laughs> she probably figures she could just wait around the gravestone and overhear what the vow is. It's a big, big gravestone. She could have just hid behind it. Yeah. And he's going to screw up at some point because this Batman has got loose lips. This Batman is not the best detective in the world. <laughs> no, he's not the best uh Secret identity in the world, I think, is what you're going for because of what's about to happen later. We'll get there. Or maybe he just assumes nobody else can detect quite like him. So he's like, ah, you know, I'm Bruce, man. I mean, Batwing. Ah, damn it. <laughs> oh, damn it. Ah, I keep stumbling over that. Oh, I got to practice that for sure. <laughs> Do it in the gravestone mirror. That night, still in the flashback, mind you, Bruce goes out crime fighting dressed in a ski mask and like a leather jacket. I love how this is kind of the first look of 
what he's trying to accomplish. It sets it up that this is sort of a bit of an origin. He knows what he wants to do here, but he's not quite there yet. But then it also makes me question, what is the vow that he told his dead parents that he's been keeping? Yeah, I'm curious what this so far has been, if this is his like first night out. Listen, mom, dad, dead mummy and daddy, sorry. (laughs) I have a vow and I'm going to say I've been keeping it, even though I'm starting it today. So it's kind of like a vow in media res. (laughs) I vow to have a vow soon. And what's that vow? It's a secret. So you shut your dead mouths and don't tell any other dead parents that might be lying around here. So many dead parents. I'd imagine that this is just a cemetery full of obviously dead people, but we've we had another sure. dead parent just lying feet away, facing in a totally different direction than the, the Wayne grave is. And it makes me question, who the hell laid out the cemetery? It's I don't know, but it's appropriately named the Gotham Origin Story Cemetery. That's I couldn't believe it either when I saw it on the sign. You're just going, wow, that's appropriate. Maybe a little heavy-handed, but appropriate. Well, I mean, it checks out, especially because I bet John Favreau's like the Undertaker there. Oh yeah, for sure. It's really easy to dig graves with heavy hands. Exactly. He just kind of scoops his palms in there and just throws it over his shoulders. <laughs> and I bet he's the type of Undertaker who leans like menacingly against the nearest tree while they're doing the whole graveside service. He's just waiting. And he doesn't even smoke, but now he's smoking. But now he's smoking. Hey, hey, are you done? You guys done? Say goodbye to Grandma. Old Johnny wants to throw some dirt in that, <laughs> on that box. Uh, Mr. Favreau, always so eager to get those people buried. <laughs> he's so eager to do it. So Batman's going to confront this group of thieves, and they're like, hey, we're not afraid of you. Why should they be? It's just a guy in a ski mask who looks like the guys who are in the ski mask who are robbing this thing. So he's like one of us. The same? One of us. Can you imagine that though? Is if the one of us chant started happening and you have Kevin Conroy join in. One of us. One of us. Gooble gobble. Gooble gobble. And then that just becomes Batman's catchphrase from now on. Gooble gobble joker. <laughs> So while they're goobble-gobbling, he manages to stop most of them, except for one who drives the whole 18-wheeler off, and we get kind of like an 18-wheeler chase scene, except we're not really chasing it, we're hanging from the back of it as a Batman. Right. Batman is hanging off the back of this thing. Keep in mind, no cape, no cowl, no bat symbol, no nothing. Just a, a large man in a ski mask hanging off the back of this truck, and the cops spot it, and they instantly go... I bet that this person's not involved in the robbery of this truck, and it's only the driver. So let's go stop it. I didn't get that impression. I did, because it seems they completely ignore the guy hanging off the back. I think it's the guy hanging off the back that a very young Harvey Bullock is like, hey, there's something fishy going on with this truck. We should stop everything here. Well, of course there's something fishy if someone's hanging off the back. What I'm saying is that they they stop this car. This guy gets away. The, the Bruce Wayne man gets away, and it seemed like there was no rush That's to go fair. after I him. I mean, it did look like he might have gotten run over by the front of the truck before it blew up. But at that point, then you're just going to get a large squished man. That's true. So you don't really have to chase after him. You just assume he's pinned somewhere underneath this giant truck. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> I like how good he is at climbing before he has like a utility belt. Hey, just scurries right up the side of that building. Good for him. Maybe that was the vow. How great would it be if like, he's just trying out different vows for this whole movie? 
Like just trying to figure out like uh, once one of these things sticks, that's the that's the, the real vow. These are all just practice vows. The rock climbing vow didn't work out, but I think the crime fighting one might. Yeah, it definitely didn't fail. I know that. Turns out both came in handy. That's true. So Bruce is really pissed that they weren't scared of him. And Alfred, Ephraim fucking Zimbalist Jr., back from the show, he's like, hey, shut up about all this crime fighting stuff. We have company. And that's when Andrea walks in and she's like, hey, you didn't call. What are you, an idiot? And he's like, jujitsu. That's because he's doing jujitsu in the garden. Yeah, you should probably lead with that, Brian. No, Or else it just no. makes it sound like someone's yelling jujitsu just at random. He kind of did. <laughs> well, no, because he's dressed up like he's doing the jujitsu in the garden. I guess. This is an audio medium, Brian. He looks like he's wearing a robe and he's been bandaged up from fighting crime on the back of an 18-wheeler. That's actually pretty fair. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> and she's like, jujitsu, I'll take your ass down right now. And she does. She, and she they, flips him. They do the kiss about it. They are so turned on that she flipped him. And I like how Alfred's walking out with like this tray of drinks and he just <laughs> turns right back around just like, all right. Well, guess that's happening. Guess I'm going to go drink these all alone while he gets the sex. <laughs> Classic Alfred life. <laughs> Bruce Wayne getting all the sex and me just with a tray of lemonade. Oh, it's a real tough life for a butler. Dave, I have another actual IMDb trivia fact for you. All right. The fighting style Bruce was shown practicing was very close to Taekwondo, despite him calling it jujitsu. The move Andrea performed on him, however, was from jujitsu. So somebody wrote in because they're upset. That a man was drawn doing something differently than hey, what he said. In hey, the he style. was doing the wrong, the wrong martial art. <laughs> now, the thing about jujitsu is that it's usually done at 22 frames per second. So whoever drew this, <laughs> put in an extra two because they're stupid. We return to present day. And another Gotham crime lord, Buzz Bronski, voiced by John P. Ryan, he's visiting the grave of Chucky Soul. You know, died in that tragic 40 story <laughs> garage accident. It was very tragic. While he's visiting the grave, the phantasm shows up again and, and kills Bronski by pushing a giant angel statue on him. I love how whenever the phantasm pops up, in Stacy Keach voice just goes, Your angel of death awaits. And then he just kind of glides through the cemetery as he's like with the smoke around him. So it's like floating and whatnot. Yeah. It's very, very cool. And I love that you can get away with this in animation, too, how quickly the phantasm just disappears and then reappears and disappears and reappears. But at the same time, sometimes it's getting chased right. or followed. You get to watch it. So it really makes it unpredictable. It's hard to figure out exactly what it is. Right. It's like, is this some sort of spooky spirit that the, the Scooby-Doo gang are going to have to show up and get? Or, or is this just a person in a mask like the Scooby-Doo gang should show up and get? That's a very appropriate way to get there, because, uh oh this movie's not hiding much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, giant angel statue to the dome. Shouldn't have blinked. Which is bold, because he already fell into an open grave and can't get out, which is terrifying. And then just to top it off, the cherry on top of that death Sunday just drops <laughs> a giant angel statue. And that's it, man. And, and then, I even like how the henchmen come over, and there's like, gross. And they turn around and walk away. Yeah, and that's Favreau's cue to get to work. He's so excited. He's probably sharpening his shovel, and everyone's like, why are you sharpening a shovel, John? That's not how it works. And he goes, this here shovel's from my daddy. He made it in a cave with scraps. Nah, because Iron Man. Is that what it's from? I just made that up off the top of my 
My dome. Super proud of you because my it's a good line. statue angel holder on my head. Buzz's bodyguards, after they're like, ew, gross, and they leave, they do see a caped figure leaving the scene, and they're like, oh, it's that damn Batman again. Oh, he got us again. Batman collects some evidence at the scene of Buzz Bronski's murder. Since he's there, he's like, might as well go see the parents. <laughs> There's only one cemetery here. I'll stop by. Why not? Gotham Origin Story Cemetery. So he goes to see his parents, and naturally, Andrea Beaumont, and we're in present day. This is, this is really happening. She's also the graveyard, talking to her mom again. And she sees Batman at the grave, and she's like, oh, damn, Bruce is Batman, huh? I like it because she notices that the gravestone he's standing next to is the Wayne one. She's like, you know, Bruce is pretty swole, huh? Hey, I know somebody else who stands by Wayne gravestones. Yeah, we had a whole meet cute here. It's like, why am I tingling all over? Is that <laughs> Bruce? Mom, don't look at me. I know you're dead, but we talk. <laughs> don't look at me. I just want to know where she got her jump to conclusions, Matt, from Office Space. <laughs> I didn't know they made those in Gotham. She's the only one who has it in the entire Batman mythology, for what that's worth. <laughs> from her you know, conversation with her mom, she goes and has dinner with Councilman Reeves. And Batman, of course, is stalking her now because he's like, ah, oh, she said my real name. That's enough to make me go stuck. See why she's in town. And at her dinner, Arthur's like, Andrea, Bubby, you seem distracted. <laughs> it's never going to get old. And she's like, I am distracted by this flashback. Oh, God. Yeah, here we go again. Bruce takes Andrea to the Gotham World Fair, where they have a tiny Gotham model and definitely not the Batmobile. Hold on a second. Because, first of all, this Art Deco set design that they're using here, that they drew, yeah. looks unbelievable. It's really cool. I don't know how they out-Art Decoed the rest of already Art Deco Batman Gotham. Yeah, they pretty much turned it up to 11. They were like, oh no, we have to make this Art deco ear. <laughs> That's right, they gave us so much money. Uh, uh, what do we do? You guys seen the Rocketeer? Let's just do that. How do we do a parody of our own TV show within our movie? <laughs> Uh, we do a we do a world fair. They do it, and it works, and it looks great. So while they're at this fair, Andrea's like, "Hey, you should meet my father." And Bruce is like, "Okay." And this is after because he did see the Batmobile. Yes, sitting there, he looked at it and he goes, yeah. oh, 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 I was, got an idea." It was definitely not the the Batmobile. That Batmobile. That was the, not the, a Batmobile. The thing that definitely wasn't the Batmobile totally was the Batmobile. What <laughs> Brian think? did was called misdirection. It was. It was. Ah, do you think we'll ever see any of these futuristic designs? Uh, what? I was looking at that car. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I was plotting in my head. Clearly, uh, I need to give you more attention, but that's just not really in my character profile. <laughs> I made a vow to look at cars. Oh, I, wait, I can't tell you what the vow is. <laughs> well, that's a vow out the window. Son of a bitch. Back to the drawing board on the whole vow situation. Guess I'm not allowed to look at any more cars ever again. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> so Bruce and Andrea go to meet Andrea's father, Carl Beaumont, also voiced by Stacy Keach. Dun, dun, dun. I like that casting for him, too. Guy's got the whole misdirection. <laughs> range with his voice. <laughs> He's just finishing up some business with Arthur Reeves. Doesn't have any lines, so I can't. Slap a booby in here. Their meeting is interrupted by the unsavory Salvatore Valestra, 
Abe fucking Vagoda. This is the one that blew my mind the worst. Because I heard it and I was like, is that Abe Vagoda of Good Burger fame? (laughs) I like that you went Good Burger. Most people would lead with The Godfather. I get that. Good Burger. But Good Burger is the only movie that had the balls to make him just such an embarrassment in his old age. Realistically, everyone talks about how Stan Lee suffered from like senior abuse. And those people have never seen Abe Vigoda in Good Burger. <laughs> he was just having fun with it at the end. Come on. They put him into an insane asylum. They absolutely did. And made him dance. I feel like he had so much fun filming that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know I would have. I bet he doesn't rem- Well, now he doesn't remember anything because he's in Gotham Memorial Cemetery or whatever it's called today. Yeah. Gotham Origin Story Memorial Cemetery. But I bet his last thought as he was going, he goes, man, I wish I got to have one of those Mondo burgers. What is that secret sauce? Wasn't it just like a chemical that made the burger really, really big? Yes. And they stored it on the roof for whatever reason? Is that, am I remembering this right? It's been so long since I've seen it. Brian, this is on my Patreon list officially. It's uh, it's been on mine for a while. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> stay tuned. Welcome it's to Patreon. Sinbad in his car. That's how the whole mess starts. It's like, oh, Sinbad forgot you existed. It's been a while since Christmas. This is your once a year reminder that Sinbad was a thing. Yep. You can now go on with your lives again. We fulfilled our obligation to Sinbad in 2021. He can leave us alone. <laughs> we'll see you in 2022, probably. It sounds like it. So Sal shows up. He wants to talk to Carl. And Bruce is like, well, I don't like this guy. He gives me the heebie-jeebies. The goobble gobbles. Right, the goobble gobbles. My bad. So they're leaving. They're walking. They're talking. You know, how people do when there's not dead parents around, too. And Bruce spots a a street merchant being robbed by a motorcycle gang. And he's like, I got to fight them. I like how Andrea's just like, no, you don't. And he's like, no. Maybe something about my vow, but I can't tell you. And she's like, all right, go ahead. What good is this jujitsu training that might not be jujitsu if I can't use it against some bastards on the street? I got these fists and they're furious. They got a leash all over these criminals' faces. <laughs> yeah, and she's eventually like, fine, do what you got to do, but come back to me in one piece, will you? What would happen if you came back in multiple pieces? Would she still love him? I feel like if you're in multiple pieces, she's just going to talk to him more often. <laughs> Why? What? <laughs> because they'd be dead. Oh, that's a good point. Actually. She talks to dead Their relationship people. would be a lot more solid if he were no longer alive. Yeah. He'd probably communicate with her more often. Oh, without that. He's very emotionally distant. And they didn't even have to write it into the script. Yeah, this one just worked out. This is not a Hulk situation because Eric Bana is not good at acting. <laughs> you don't have to write around Kevin Conroy. You do not. He's so good. So Bruce is fighting his motorcycle gang, but when Andrea is put into harm's way, his concern for her safety lets the gang get away. And he's, like, really mad about that. He's like, how do I, you know, fulfill my vow and also love this woman? Ah, it's confusing. I'm very mad. It doesn't seem that difficult. It shouldn't. (laughs) It seems like it's uh, pretty surface level here. How your vow is barely started. Right. You have this lady who is very much into you, and you're just so hooked on this vow that you're already questioning. (laughs) So I just don't understand. What's the point? But we'll get there. I understand there is a point behind it. Exactly. 
So Bruce has got to sort his feelings out. He goes to his parents' gravesite to talk to them. I love how that's where everyone ends up here, is that he's clearly got these demons in his head that he still needs to sort out. And to me, this is possibly the most brilliant scene in a Batman film hard stop. Wow. High praise. It is. And it's because this movie actually cares about the character of Bruce Wayne. Yes. Which a lot of films don't bother doing. It's all about the cape and the cowl. Exactly. This is a Bruce movie. Oh, big time. This is a more a Bruce movie than it is a Batman movie, for sure. Absolutely. But Batman is trying to come to terms with his feelings for Andrea, but also this vow that he's made to his parents of, I can't let the crime happen. I need to step in whenever I can. I can't let other kids kind of grow up how I did. Exactly. I don't want them to lose their parents. I got to get the crime off the streets. But he tells his parents, his dead parents, mind you, I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on me being happy. It's a good line. That is something that you'd never, ever get from a Batman story. Right. Of him acknowledging he's happy and he feels guilty about it. Exactly. He's like, this is wrong to feel right. And he also says that it doesn't hurt as much anymore. The pain of him losing his parents. And that to him is a big problem too because he needs to carry this guilt on his big old broad animated shoulders. (laughs) But he doesn't have that feeling anymore. Right. And he feels like he's almost like cheating on his parents in a way. You don't want to cheat on your parents. You don't. It's a bad thing to do. If you just like walk next door and you're like, you're my parents now. And then you make your parents watch you have a 4th of July party over that fence. You're like making it weird. Oh, man. The neighbor dad's grilling up my, my son a burger and a hot dog right now. That's weird. This is way too weird. I don't like this at all. <laughs> Dolores, I can't believe that our son's cheating on us with the neighbor parents. It's disgusting. It could be worse. It could be some young thing who talks to her dead parents in the cemetery. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Can you imagine if she like just goes to the next grave over just to really make her mom jealous, her dead mom <laughs> jealous? So I was telling Mr. Bukowski secrets or whatever. <laughs> hey, new mom, I know you can't hear me. <laughs> but neither could old mom either. <laughs> well, that's going to really piss her off. <laughs> but this Bruce... The demons are deeper than I've ever even considered them to be. Yeah. I've never considered him ever being over the death of his parents, but this movie has considered it. Right. I've never considered Bruce Wayne being happy. And yeah, there's plenty of stories about him and Catwoman getting together, getting married, living out their long lives. Right. But then there's still that dividing line of good and bad and Catwoman kind of being the strange moral compass that you can't figure out. So Bruce is never really on an even keel. But here, They fully address all of Bruce's demons and how he's really, really fighting with it even before he puts on the cape and cowl. Yeah, he's more than just a broken child. It goes a hell of a lot farther than that, and we're going to get there. While he's having this conversation, this inner quandary, Andrea shows up behind him at the gravesite and says, hey, maybe you have the answer. Maybe they sent me here. Which, again, is amazing. Yeah. I like how she's kind of abusing the dead parent relationship. Though. A little bit. She... I'm just like, if I say his dead parents said it, he's mine. <laughs> right? They told me. I talked to them. My mom said this was a good idea. Mr. Bukowski said this is a good <laughs> idea. I'm going to roll with it. Your parents said they sent me to you, so. I'm your vow. Do the vow. New vow. New vow right here. 
That would have been such a weird way to take him out of the movie. It's like, you want to get on this vow? Huh? <laughs> you have a vow. I have a vow, too. My vow is to make me your new vow. So many vows. We should read our own vows. Andrea, I don't know how to tell you this, but I have a raging vow right now. <laughs> it's just so dirty knowing that they're listening, but they're not. <laughs> the things we could say and get away with right in front of our dead parents. It's so hot. Oh, that's right. I like it when Bukowski watches. Bukowski, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. My parents left me their Rolls Royce, and I took it from Alfred one day. And Daphne Bukowski? Well, let's just say she fit really well in the back seat with me. <laughs> You're bringing Bukowski's daughter into it? <laughs> what are you going to do about it? You're dead. Ah. <laughs> uh. So much better when they're listening, but not. I don't think I'll ever be able to get it up without talking to dead people also listening. I've officially fallen into Pete Holmes. Yep. Yeah, you went full <laughs> Pete Holmes on that. <laughs> like you were doing the lip curl and everything. <laughs> and everything. Go ahead, Bukowski. Make your move. <laughs> I was a boy. Now I'm a bat. <laughs> Do you know how I did your daughter, Bukowski? Upside down. <laughs> Just like bats do. Guess what, Mrs. Beaumont? Your daughter's next. <laughs> I'm going to do a Bukowski on her. You want to know what that is? It's a lot like a snowball from Clerks, but oh. with bats. <laughs> you hear that, Bukowski? Andrea's like, he might not, but I heard it, and I think I'm going to go now. <laughs> I'm the real person here still with ears. Oh, you were listening? I thought I was speaking dead people. <laughs> I thought this was a Haley Joel Osment situation of talking to dead people and no one else would listen. Was he only talking to the dead people? No. <laughs> <laughs> Plot hole discovered. Well, Bruce Willis is going to be too busy with Arthur Reeves anyway. That's a good point. So we go back to present day. For that joy ride through the cemetery. <laughs> Councilman Reeves is approached by Valestra, and Reeves confirms that Batman is apparently attacking their people, Booby. <laughs> of course. I like how he confirms in that way that Reeves is involved with Valestra. Back at the Batcave, Batman's using the old Bat computer analyze mode, and he, uh, he figures out that the two dead men, Saul and Bronski, were partners in crime with Sal Valestro. In Valestro's office, Batman finds a photo of the three criminals, and guess who they're hanging out with? Carl Beaumont. How about that? Oh, you know what that made me do? Flashback. <laughs> it was either that, or put it in the really convenient evidence locker of small world movies. <laughs> Wait a second. I've seen all these characters before in this feature film. That's only 78 minutes long. Be really rude of them to introduce a new character right now. They can't because the picture. Everyone's right. locked. This is a literal picture lock. <laughs> that, was, that was good. It's a good play on words right there. So this flashback I was talking about a second ago, Bruce does the least romantic proposal of all time. He's like, here, you'll get the idea. I like it, though, because he gets on his knee, hands over the big box of the big old diamond. And he's like, well, do you? It's like, I'm, not, I'm no good at this. Open this up and see if you agree with it or whatever. 
good work there, Brucey. Just like you practice with the dead people when you <laughs> tried it out on them. And Andrea accepts the proposal, and then bats fly out of the cave below them. But like a lot of bats. So like many it cannot bats. be stressed how many bats there are here. There's so many bats. It's really weird that Bruce has never stepped on this part of Wayne Manor before, because apparently all it takes is being there for these bats to just fly out of the ground. Oh, it's either that or the bats just waiting underneath the ground, hanging upside down, going like, we can't go up there until there's a great gesture of romance. Or like a lackluster proposal. Either or. There's only two reasons why we go above ground. <laughs> that's the one! That's, that's one of them! Go! Go, go, go! It's just a, a big old funnel of bats. It is a funnel, though. And they, like, corkscrew their way up into the sky, probably to heaven, because that's how high up this this so pillar many. of bats goes. It's There are more bats than there are floors of that parking garage. Impossible. Andrea returns to her father's house, or Bruce brings her back to the father's house, and she's like, I can't wait to tell him. And she's like, oh, he's got a business meeting. I guess I'll tell him in the morning. <laughs> I love how you see, like, the silhouettes of all the, let's just call it mafia men, inside this office. And she's like, oh, man, I can make out all those bad guys who are just associates, not bad guys. I misspoke. Yeah, he does business with all sorts. Good guys, medium guys, uh, <laughs> definitely not bad guys, though. Chaotic neutral guys? It's, it's all over the place. <laughs> that was a little more specific. I know, Bruce. It doesn't change the fact that daddy's a good boy. She goes inside to tell her father the good news, but, you know, that meeting, we'll see what happens. Because instead, we're going to go back to Wayne Manor with Bruce, and he's going to explore that cave with the bats. And when he comes out, Alfred's going to be like, ooh, I got a package for you, and I don't think it's good news. No, but I like how he says, like, this cave must be huge because of all the bats that were in it. It's like, yeah, this is the biggest cave ever, Bruce. It's a giant cave. Ever. But then Alfred hands him over the package, and it's got a note, and it's got the ring holder thing. Andrea's returned the ring and she's like, hey, gotta leave town and maybe forget about me. Which is heartbreaking again. Yeah. That's, because that's Bruce is terrible. not a guy who puts himself out there and he did it. And then he got slapped down. He sure did. Like the next morning, he got slapped down and he's like, well, looks like I'm back into throwing myself to the vow. I knew I should have only stuck with dead people. They can't give anything back. Dead people are so much more appreciative of the things I do for them. <laughs> I think. They haven't told me specifically, but you could see it in where their eyes used to be. <laughs> so Batman puts on the bat suit for the first time, and Alfred shits his pants. I love how he turns around to face Alfred, and Alfred's like, my God. Yeah, remember that issue you had earlier with not being able to instill fear in your enemies? Now you're instilling fear in your butler. I don't know if it's because of the actual costume or it's because Alfred watched his little Brucey grow up to become yeah. this. It's that emotional transformation that's the most frightening. I completely agree. This movie agrees as well. We return to present-day Gotham. Valestra goes to the now-abandoned World Fair site. World Fairgrounds? We'll go with that. World Fairgrounds. Which is now the hideout for the Joker, Mark fucking Hamill. I like when he pops out and he goes, Hello, Batman! Oh, no, no. <laughs> Velestra. Velestra. Oh, the wheezy guy! I love that he, like, greets him like an old friend. He's like, Hey, where the hell have you been? Do you remember we're in that picture together that hasn't been discovered yet? <laughs> or so I believe. 
I remember a flash from that night, but it could have been from Daphne Bukowski, that little whore. <laughs> it's also the DC Universe. Could have been the Flash. It could have been the Flash. <laughs> Valestra tells Joker that he uh, he's like, hey, Batman is killing off all the members of the old gang. And then he's like, remember, you might have been part of that old gang, said photo that we were talking about a second ago. He's specifically targeting his old associates, and it's only a matter of time before they go after you. So, like, you know, maybe do something about it, Joker. I like how Joker wasn't involved. Like, a lot of these stories are Joker-centric whenever he pops up. But I like how sort of the villain had to pull Joker into this. Yeah. And then Joker had to almost act on self-defense in a lot of ways until he fully jokered all the way but of course you gotta still can't go half joker but joker had to get pulled into this story yeah which is kind of neat i like that at first it just sounds like valester's hiring him to do a hit and he's like i'm the joker what are you doing it's like no remember you're in the photo with us except we don't talk about the photo because it hasn't been unveiled to the audience yet that you're the guy in the photo exactly (laughs) spoiler alert Andrea ends her date with Arthur and finds Batman in her room. As you do. That's why I stopped dating and got married. I got sick and tired of Batman showing up in my room after dates. Batman's got to stop showing up every time I go out. Hey, hey, Dave. Quick question. Is she dead yet? (laughs) Dave, how did it go? (laughs) Tell me all the details, (laughs) especially the really hot ones. Like, what did you get for your entree? Are her parents alive? And if they're not, can you tell me where they're buried so I can go have a chat on your behalf? <laughs> I'll only say good things. I it's just promise. Batman lying on a bed with his hands on his on his elbows and he's kicking his feet <laughs> behind him as he like closes his Cosmopolitan Gotham magazine or whatever. It's. <laughs> he asks Andrea about the men photographed with her father, and she's like, I-, "I don't know what you're talking about, you, you weird bat." Can't be doing that. I don't have any connection to any of that stuff, and neither does he. He was just a good man who did his job. And unfortunately, some of the people he did his job for were bad people, but, like, the only one here who's still controlled by their parents is you. Boom! Drop that mic, Andrea! And he's like, all right, that hurt a little. I'm going to (laughs) leave. You can't say that about me. My parents are dead. (laughs) (laughs) And then she cries. She does, but I also like how she pretty much might as well just say, you're Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and he's just going to be like, without saying it, comment. because this is a smart movie. Right. Where she does, she very much hints like, you're a rich boy. I know exactly who you are. I watched you brood over a headstone. No comment. I'm going to plead the fifth. That's a thing here in Gotham, right? Then he pieces out and she cries. I like that she cries, though, at the end of this, because you get yeah. to see it from her side as well exactly she doesn't want it to be this way it just has to be this way precisely the phantasm goes to valester's apartment only to find sal has been given the old joker toxin oh it's terrifying too yeah how you see sal is dead he's got the big smile on him and it's got that like a like a video camera type thing on his chest and i like how joker's like you're not that bad the phantasm narrowly escapes because Joker sets off a bomb after being like, oh, you're not Batman. Kaboom. He does. But at the same time, I like the genuine surprise from Mark Hamill. Yes. Of you're not Batman. It's kind of like, 
Joker's plan didn't work, and we never see that. That's true. At least not to this extent, like this early. Yeah, his final plan usually is the one that gets foiled, but this early on, he's like taken aback, just like, what the fuck? (laughs) So as the Phantasm jumps out of this exploding building, Batman shows up in the Batwing to chase him down. It seems like it's really easy to get away from the Batwing. It's just don't go on rooftops. Just go literally anywhere else. Exactly. I feel like, like go the- hide in an office under the desk or something. Like he's not going to get you then. Yeah. Just stay off the top floor of any high rise parking garages and you should be good. Anywhere a spotlight can hit, avoid it. It's yeah. a really easy problem to solve. Well, he jumps out of it anyway and tackles the Phantasm. And then, you know, Phantasm does the old poofy magic stuff. And also. <laughs> police chopper showing up and they're like hey you're the batman you're killing all these people we're gonna arrest you i love everything that's about to happen because the police are gonna go after batman and they're gonna go after him hard they're gonna go after him with everything they have and this is a weird thing that batman the animated series is able to pull off this gotham feels empty that it is batman's gotham it's his own playground that he gets to actually play in because there's no one on the streets of this city. It's just the people that matter in the scene. So yes. it's only Batman running. It's only these cop cars coming. And the big paddy wagon that we get to see in the animated series made its return, which I loved it. Yeah. But the streets just get flooded with everyone versus Batman. There are no other people. And I think that's important because it makes the world feel very small. Yes. Despite Gotham actually feeling very big. It's, yeah, I agree. Gotham is is Batman's. Yes. That's not a secret to anybody. Gotham is Batman's. But when you shrink it down that much, I feel like it almost smothers Batman himself at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way it's done. Because they make it feel so small, and then they bring in hundreds of Gotham PD, led by Detective Harvey Bullock, because he still has his vendetta. And they end up cornering Batman in his construction site. And he has to remove his cape and cowl to create a decoy for the police to follow while he escapes the other direction. Without his cape and cowl. This is now Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Just in the Batman lower area. The the chest, the pants, whatever it is. His face is fully visible. Bruce Wayne just put himself out there. And not in like the stupid way that Michael Keaton did with the rubber mask and he pulls it off in the sewers of Batman Returns. <laughs> he had to do this for his own survival. Yeah. This was intentional to escape. It's just Bruce Wayne running away in Batman pajamas. Well, this wasn't even an arrest. This was a kill on sight. Exactly. Everyone's firing everything they have at him. Which is wild because the police commissioner doesn't believe he's guilty. I guess there's some other hierarchy where like, Bullock works below him, and you can't overrule that. He's like, hey, you must be working on something. Can't really call off that dog. <laughs> Luckily for Bruce Wayne, Andrea drives up, and she's like, hey, get in. I'm the getaway driver now. He gets in. They drive off. That was easy. They get away. The helicopter doesn't matter so much anymore. <laughs> well, the trick is you just stay away from the spotlight. I played enough video games to know that. Like the Batwing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) See, that's why Andrea's smart and the Phantasm not so much. Surely they're not connected. How could they be? We'll get there. One of them knows the state of the spotlight. The other one doesn't. That actually is a really good diversion itself. (laughs) 
at this point, if you haven't figured out the movie, I don't know what to tell you. Same. But we'll get there anyway. <laughs> we will get there anyway. Andrea starts telling Bruce about what happened the night that he proposed. That's right. It's time for another flashback. Okay. I'm, I'm getting exhausted. The night of the proposal, the meeting that Carl Beaumont was having was him begging for his life from Valestro's men because he owed them a bunch of money. Andrea walks in because she's so happy about this proposal, and now she's in trouble too. So Valestro's like, all right, I'll give you 24 hours to get the money, but if you don't have it, you're both dead. Right. Get your suitcase full of all that sweet cash, meet me at Mondo Burger, <laughs> and then we'll call it even. Everything be hunky-dory. Google gobble. Google gobble. Carl insists that there's no hope for them in Gotham. And he's like, we got to get out of here because, you know, all this money, I have it. It's just tied up in, like, foreign securities and hidden bank accounts and whatnot. It's going to take weeks to get it. This isn't going to happen in 24 hours. We got to bounce. He's like, one day we'll be free of the criminals. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So we cut back to present day. And Andrea tells Bruce that her father eventually was able to pay off the debt, but Valestro's men considered it too little, too late. Bruce finally deduces that the phantasm is Carl. Sure, world's greatest detective. He's so good at detecting. The best detective. Carl is going out, killing off these gangsters, so his family will finally be free of this debt. It makes sense, especially because you met the father once and he says, you sound a lot like Stacy Keach. And then you heard the phantasm <laughs> talk and said, hey, you sound a lot like Stacy Keach. I mean, that's just good detecting. I would say the world's best. Yeah. Hey, hey, K-Podcasters. This is Batman. Am I detecting sarcasm? <laughs> uh, what? No, us never. I, I feel like there's some sarcasm going on, and I don't appreciate it. I mean, you're the world's greatest detective. This is the greatest Batman story ever told, because it's not so much about Batman. It's about Bruce Wayne, who I'm not connected to at all. But he's a really handsome fella with a really big donger and sweet buns and <laughs> abs of steel. And he does jujitsu, karate, and martial arts in the lawn. And it's hot. It makes ladies want to want to make out with him and not have lemonade. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got it all figured out, Bruce. I mean, Batman. That's oh shit. Um, I, I'm gonna go talk to dead people because they don't talk back like you do. That's that's fair. So Bruce and Andre do the kiss. They're in the real modern times, so they're gonna they're gonna do the thing again. Which is kind of fucked up on Andreas' part because she's dating the booby. I don't think she's dating him. I think she's misdirecting him because she knows that he has something to do with all of this fuckery. Ah, so she's using her sexuality, mm. sort of, to be a complete badass. Yeah. That, to me, is kind of okay. Yeah, I agree with that. We'll get there, obviously, but I, I, I kind of like that. <laughs> so after Andrea leaves, Bruce looks into that photo again, and he's like, something else here, not adding up with this Valestra photo. And then he's like, oh, there's another guy in the picture. This is weird. Uh, I've been looking at these four guys. There's five guys in the picture this whole time. And, well, naturally, that fifth guy, he looks kind of familiar. He's got a big old nose. He's got a real big nose. And, and you know, Bruce can't kick this, this idea that mm, there's something here. He takes out a red marker and draws a big old smile on the photo. And I love his reaction because this here is very much animated series of, oh, no. <gasps> <laughs> like the villain you haven't faced 90 times before just popped up again. Yeah. Oh, it just got so much worse. Because <laughs> Valestra's former bodyguard is actually the Joker. 
How about that? How awful would it have been if he drew on that smile and it wasn't him? And he's like, well, now I can't tell who it is because there's a stupid smile on it. Why did I use the stupid red pen? Alfred, I told you to throw out all the red pens. This is on you. You're fired. Should have made bat copies of this photo. (laughs) Oh, man. I could have had bat microfiche. (laughs) But instead, I decided to doodle like an idiot. Silly, silly Bruce. So the Joker plays Councilman Reeves a visit. He wants to know who's responsible for taking out all of the old crew. And Reeves is like, Joker, booby. Don't you read the news? It's the Batman. And Joker's like, nope, nope, nope. I love that, though, because Joker obviously knows Batman better than anybody. He's like, that's not his M.O. And he's also seen on video that it's this other person. (laughs) Exactly. Joker's actually there because he suspects it's Reeves who's taking out everybody to clear his shady past connections because he's a councilman. It checks out. But while the Joker is interrogating him, the phone rings, and it's Andrea. And now Joker's starting to piece everything together. And when I say start, I mean Joker's figured it out. Joker has it nailed, because Joker might be the world's greatest detective. Yeah, it seems like maybe that's the case. Hey, wait a minute. I know what I said. Who? Wait, who Who are you? Joker here, okay. world's greatest detective. Yep, there it is. No way, I'm the greatest detective. Please, Batman. They wanted me to be one of the hardy boys. Wait, that gives me a clue. Is this raging? Every clue I get is raging. I'm filled with so much rage. My parents died. (laughs) Oh, man. Can you imagine if that's like how he ended every phrase? (laughs) Just like, my parents are dead. (laughs) Tell you no. I have demons. You've heard the story. So Reeves is dosed with Joker's laughing toxin, and he's hospitalized in a hysterical laughing fit. And it is really, really good voice acting from Hart Bachner. It sure is. Because he's going between this laughing, crying, like, I don't want to be laughing. This is not by choice. I'm all sorts of toxined up here. Yeah. But I still need to deliver my lines and tell this story earnestly. Right. Because Batman shows up and he's like, what the hell's going on here? Why is this Joker visiting you? And he's like, Batman, booby. I sold out Carl Beaumont (laughs) to the mob years ago. So, you know, I've got a connection to this thing. He sure does. Because when Carl and Andrea went into hiding, Reeves wanted some money to run his campaign. And Carl was like, no, I'm not giving you money. I know what happens when I give out money or when I take money or do anything with money. Well, Reeves didn't much care for that and totally sold him down the river. Said, all right, this is where he is. Have fun. Somehow, Reeves, not the bad guy. Who knew? I mean, (laughs) it's a lot like an Ellis situation, though. Somehow Ellis, not the bad guy in Die Hard. Right. And yet. And yet. (laughs) Batman searches Andrea's apartment for more clues, and he finds a locket with a picture of the two of them together. And he's like, oh, forgot what emotions felt like. This is weird. I've never found somebody's physical spank bank before. I've been so upset with all my girlfriends in the past when they said they've went to Jared. But clearly, it was just to buy spank banks. (laughs) I thought Jared was a guy that they were cheating on me with. It's just a shitty store in the mall. (laughs) That sells spank banks. 
It explains why all these things smelled like Auntie Anne's pretzels. <laughs> Jared's always fucking up my game. So while Batman's hunting around Andrea's apartment, the phone rings. And he answers it because, you know, you're not just going to let the phone ring at a stranger's That's going go to go to an answering machine, and that's weird. And I get it. It's a 1990s thing. Uh, I mean, well, realistically, he could have waited for the answering machine. They would have probably told the whole entire story out loud of, listen, Andrea, so I know that the whole thing that we're entwined in, this whole weird story about the mafia and different phantasms of Batman and Bruce Wayne not being the same thing, uh, just call me back. Okay, bye. <laughs> That's how the 1990s version would play out. Exactly. But instead, Batman answers. And it's the Joker sending another bomb into the apartment because he's, he's figured the whole thing out. And Batman escapes and recognizes the design of the plane that flew, the bomb, and he's like, that definitely came from the World's Fair. Sure. From all <laughs> those years, years ago. ago. <laughs> I know, because I only look at planes now, because I made a vow to stop looking at cars. Exactly. And he went, that is an Art Deco plane, and I know just the place. He figures out Joker is hiding in the old ruins of the Gotham World Fair, and you know what? That's going to trigger a flashback for sure. <laughs> of course it will. <laughs> But not his. It's Andrea's flashback. Which is confusing, but still. Super confusing. She returns to her and her father's hideout after some grocery shopping. She got a big old bag of apples. And she finds Valestra's bodyguard, Joker, emerging, having just murdered her father. Yeah, not great. Not what you want. Yeah, as far as flashbacks go, short, but to the point. It really is. In present day, Phantasm confronts Joker, and he applauds her scheme. That's right. Her. Phantasm is Andrea Beaumont. I feel like I should heavy hand it, but this movie doesn't really want you to. No. Also, I have one last actual IMDb trivia fact for you. Three is too many, but I'll allow it because I love this movie. Kenner, which had already- The toy company? Which had already released toys for <laughs> okay. Batman the Animated Series, produced several tie-in figures for the film, including the Joker and the Phantasm which was packaged unmasked, spoiling a pivotal plot point in the film. That is just classic toy making right sure there. Is. That seems to always happen with these things. Yeah, everything of gets leaked by the damn toys. It's just at the, the bottom of this thing. It makes me like wonder how the hell they didn't spoil Empire Strikes Back when they had the Star Wars licensing agreement. Right? About the whole Vader, Luke, I am your father. No, you're not. I'm the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> they just put out a toy that says Luke's dad, and it's just a, a Darth Vader action figure. <laughs> exactly. Also, you can go on eBay right now, twenty nine ninety nine. You could buy that Batman animated Mask of the Phantasm action figure that shows that it is very clearly Andrea. But yeah, Andrea is basically out for revenge against her father's murderers. And it's tale as old as time. Yeah, they messed up her whole life. Her her father, her relationship with Bruce. Well, yeah, now she's got some demons, and she doesn't have any dead people around to talk to it about, so she's got to deal with these demons in her own way. But I love how Joker doesn't even hide that he has it all pieced together. He just throws it out there. You're Andrea. She pulls off the mask. It is Andrea. Now she doesn't need this almighty mask that keeps her safe from bullets and everything. Right. We have to see her in all of her glory running around trying to stop the Joker. Yeah. Now she is her normal self in pajamas of the thing she was before. Exactly. How about that? So these two are going to fight each other, and it's not going well for Andrea, because Joker's got a giant jet engine, and she's going to get sucked into it. But luckily, Batman arrives and throws a motorcycle into it. 
it's wild to see because <laughs> Andrea is getting sucked into this big fan, as Joker calls it, her biggest fan. Yep. And then Batman just drives a motorcycle into it and just breaks and they just both fall to the ground. It's like, uh, okay, problem solved, I guess. So now Bruce and Andrea, Phantasm, they drop to the ground and it's like, okay, 2v1 now. Here we go. Yeah, but Batman's like, wait a minute, it's you? I'm the world's greatest detective, and all I detected out of you was sexiness. This is crazy. (laughs) She states, she's like, now vengeance is all I have left. And he's like, get out of here. (laughs) That's the right answer. It's also interesting because she's been giving him a hard time this whole movie. He's not like, hey, maybe the two of us against Joker would be better than just me. That's true, but I love the dichotomy of what's actually happening here between Andrea and Bruce, not so much Phantasm and Batman. Yeah. And we'll get there shortly, but I just love the way that it's all set up. Andrea does leave, and Batman and Joker fight in the Gotham City model that's inside the fair. And I learned that I love, love, love fight scenes that happen in model cities. I love it. Me too. Hot Fuzz? Yes, please. Ant-Man, yes, please. Yeah. This is what I want in life. Power Rangers, yes, please. Okay. Well, now I don't want it anymore. Oh. I was just piling on. I was helping. (laughs) Were you, though? I knew what I was doing. The real villain. So while Joker has Batman distracted by some planes flying at his face, tiny planes, he goes and triggers a self-destruct sequence. And then he tries to jetpack away, just like, hey, Batman, there's 20 miles of explosives underneath this place. I'm getting out of here. I love how that's his contingency plan, is that he just put explosives everywhere. And you know that if you're here, you're gone. No matter what happens, there's so much explosives. If you're within the vicinity. Anywhere around it. You are a Richard Donner. You're goner. Oh, I see. Rhyming. That's always fun. I felt like that was like my Ocean's Eleven thing. Yeah. Of like, you're going to be in Barney. Barney? Barney Rubble. Trouble! Trouble! So he's Dick Donner. Yeah. No, R.I.P. Respect. So Joker tries to jetpack away, but Batman catches him, and then he's just riding on the back of a flyaway Joker, and he pulls him back down to the fairgrounds. It's about to explode, and he's like, you idiot, what are you doing? Now we're both going to die. But I love the way Joker puts it. He says, let me go, or we're both going to die, which makes it sound like... You let me go, only you're going to die, which is fine. Well, he actually, he offers to help Batman get out. He's just like, hey, I don't want to die. If you let me get out of here, I'll help you get out. That's fucking teamwork. Sure is. They're going to go to Zanzibar. Damn right they are. Andrea reemerges and grabs the Joker. And she's like, whatever it takes. And then the place starts to blow up. It blows up everywhere. And I can see where the budget went to on this movie. Yellow and red paint. It is insane how big this explosion is. But I love the way this is set up because everything's blowing up around them. You have this giant orange, red, yellow explosion going on. And Andrea is standing there with the Joker. Batman is watching on completely just beat up at this point. Oh, yeah. And she just vanishes with the Joker in a cloud as everything's exploding around them. As the Phantasm does. Yeah. The Phantasm always has this cloud effect thing. And Batman just kind of walks through it, and there's nothing there. And then he managed to escape by falling into the sewers. Gotham's water supply pretty clean. Surprisingly, for being a shithole of a city. 
They probably just had to recently clean it up from something the Scarecrow dumped in there. <laughs> probably. I feel like that happens a lot. They must have really good filtration. It's like uh, Batman already began, so we don't have to deal with that whole situation. We're post-Batman <laughs> Begins. He's here. He's yeah. here already. And He's we're flashing back to when he first vowed to begin. Exactly. So we're after that. So the water supply now is the cleanest ever been. Back in the Batcave, Bruce is pretty mopey. He regrets not being able to save Andrea. And Alfred's like, hey, maybe she didn't want to be saved. And then there's this glimmer in the cave. And Batman's like, oh, what's that? And he runs over. And it's the locket, the spank bank from Andrea's apartment. I like how he holds it up. And he just goes, fucking Jared. (laughs) Speaking of Jared, it's probably the name of this guy on this boat who's going over to talk to this lonely lady standing on the edge of this cruise ship leaving Gotham. It's Andrea. She's alive. She's gazing out into the ocean. This guy's like, hey, you here all alone? And she's like, always, pretty much. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. And then, of course, Batman's going to continue to Batman. Batman's always going to Batman. It's true. I like that the police are cool with him again, and they just turn on the bat signal like, sorry, bro. Just all of a sudden, like, that was on us. My bad, dude. Uh, No, we're not going to fire Detective Harvey Bullock. He made an oopsie-daisy. What are you going to do? Right. But that is Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993, directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Timm. Both fuckings. Both fuckings. I love this movie. It's so good. Is it the best Batman movie? I'm going to ask you flat out, straight away, is it the best Batman movie? Because to a lot of people, this is the best Batman movie. I think it's the second best Batman movie. After? Lego Batman. And weirdly enough, a lot of people will agree with you there too. <laughs> I personally think this is the best. With Lego Batman as a close second. <laughs> this thing captures Bruce Wayne in a way that's never been seen before. Absolutely. Michael Keaton didn't get close to what this character is. Val Kilmer didn't get close. George Clooney didn't get close. Christian Bale didn't get close. Ben Affleck doesn't get close. No. You actually get to dive into the psyche of the character. And on top of that, you get to mirror his psyche versus a woman who's going through a similar thing in different circumstances. Exactly. And they happen to be in love with each other, and they both recognize that this just isn't going to work because we're both not supposed to be happy. It's pretty bleak. It is incredibly bleak, but that is what the Batman lore is is absolutely it always is bleak there's a deep rogues gallery of all these different characters of a joker who's a complete wild card a riddler who you can't really figure out all that much unless you solve his puzzles a bane who is physically a brute and will destroy you if he gets his hands on you yeah of countless others a two-face who's two of those things in one exactly harley quinn even who wasn't allowed to be in this movie right For a lot of reasons. (laughs) I think that this here is just Batman boiled down to what he's supposed to be. All the things at his core that make up Batman. Even you have like these brief little origins and you have this story that turns him into what he's going to become. How he is mostly over the death of his parents. Yes. But there's always room for more hurt. Yeah. This is diving into why Bruce Wayne continues to be Batman. More so than why he became him. And I think that's important because obviously doing the right thing and stopping the crime all the time, it's a noble effort. It's a great vow to have. 
But deep down, you stop so much crime, at some point you're going to get jaded by it. Yeah. There needs to be something else to keep you going. And I think that this story hits on it so well of there's also going to be heartbreak along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And there is multiple times even even later on in other stories involve obviously Catwoman. Right. There are just so many things that work against Bruce Wayne, not so much the Bat. But they're all obviously Batman stories because it's all an umbrella. I think that this is just done so perfectly. Yeah. And the crew that did the animated series had their finger on the pulse of what Batman is so perfectly that they pulled off a masterpiece. I totally agree. I think there's not a more sincere interpretation outside of the comics of what Batman's core principles are. And to show how good this movie actually is, Brian, Rotten Tomatoes, 100, go ahead. 88. 84, but the audience scores 88, so you nailed it there. Yeah. Roger Ebert did not see this movie dot, dot, dot when it came out. Oh, okay. Siskel and Ebert on their show at the movies, had to go back to this movie, really? which was rare for them. Yeah. Gene Siskel said that he watched this thing on Laserdisc at home, just to date it just a little bit, and he said that he had to apologize to the audience watching the show that they didn't watch it when it came out in theaters, and he said that was a fantastic mistake. Wow, that's huge. He said that this was a movie that you cannot overlook. He did not like Mark Hamill's Joker. He said the voice was a little too annoying for him. He said that Jack Nicholson and Cesar Romero were better Jokers. That's a statement. Um. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> but he goes on to say this at the time was the second best Batman movie behind Batman 89, because obviously that thing laid a foundation that's absolutely incomparable. Yeah. But Ebert complimented this movie because he said with an animation film, you have a bit of an advantage over a live action movie because live action is going to have certain limitations that you can get around with animation. Yeah. But since animation is so expensive to do, they had to make every frame of this movie count, and they did. That's high praise. They both loved this movie. That's amazing. On Amazon.com, this movie has a 4.8 out of 5. It is beloved. Wow. 88% are 5 star. 1% are 1 star. And even the 1 stars say, I love this movie, but the DVD was scratched. <laughs> Classic Amazon. On Letterboxd, it was hard to find anything that wasn't, I love this movie. That checks out. So let me hit you with just a few. Okay. From November 12th, 2018, this guy kind of wrote his own little script here. So hang in there. Okay. He said, Warner Brothers says, hey, can you rush out a cheap cartoon Batman movie for kids? The filmmaker said, sure. Also, we're going to make it a tragedy about two adults whose reactions to trauma cost them their happiness, and it's going to have more elegant dialogue and character work and denser storytelling than any live action Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, all that. From January 10th, 2019, Andrea, after seeing Batman near the grave of Bruce Wayne's parents, she says, I've connected the dots. Me, knowing full well that she's full of shit, says, you haven't connected shit. <laughs> it's that jump to conclusions, Matt. Which is amazing, though, because I feel like this movie treats the audience as smart. Yes. It knows that you've connected those dots fairly quickly, but even after you've connected them, that reveal still lands it does. really, really well because it gives the character who's doing the reveal motivation to do it. 
Which in itself is a magic trick because you're finally giving stakes to other characters outside of just being Bruce Wayne or Batman. Right. From July 24th, 2018, Batman is for straight white guys who punch holes in drywall after getting into a fight with their dad. And also for me, but mostly them. (laughs) Batman, bridging the gap. That pretty much summed it up. I don't know why they haven't put that on every issue of Batman that's ever come out since. Or Detective Comics, that should be like their byline. Yeah, absolutely. From May 2nd, 2021, WTF, why is this so good? A tragic romantic melodrama in disguise as a Batman movie, yet inseparable from the mythology it draws from. Brilliant. Brilliant. They go on to say, I can semi-confidently say that this is the only serious comic book movie that really works. Mostly because it could give a shit about Batman punching people. It's shockingly mature. Note, I love how it treats the solution to the mystery not as a big reveal because it knows anyone with a brain has figured it out and instead totally focuses the reveal on the newly changed dynamic between the characters. A dumber film, like, say, The Dark Knight Rises, would have put five minutes of Batman going, what? No! Or at some other (laughs) overdramatic close-up with surprised music. But we did the sex. (laughs) We did the sex. This should be obvious. I run around in a rubber suit. Really seals in the flavor. <laughs> full Pete Holmes. <laughs> oh, it's so gross, but it's so appropriate. <laughs> and the last one I have is from March 13th, 2015. People who keep sucking Christopher Nolan's cock and haven't even heard of Mask of the Phantasm, do yourself a favor and experience the definitive and best Batman film. Boom. I love how just the gauntlet is laid down. If you haven't seen this movie, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, for real. And on that note, let's give this thing a super stuff score. Let's do it. Start off with story and motivation. I think the story is second to none in terms of Batman itself. I totally agree. I'm going to just call it an easy one. He has his own self-motivation as Bruce Wayne. Yep. And that's the more important thing than Batman trying to save the day. Yeah. Um, I'm going to up it. I think it's a 1-5 because you also get just as rock-solid motivation for Andrea. And we'll get there, and I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly. 1-5, story motivation. Hero. It's Batman. He does save the day. But more importantly, it's Bruce Wayne growing up as an adult in exactly. a way. Exactly, yeah. Is Batman the one who saves the day? I, uh, he is, but he isn't. But I don't think it's important because it's not really about that. It's not really, yeah. I mean... The hero himself is Batman. Yes. But this is a Bruce Wayne story. You know, I'm going to go 0.75. Okay. Just to, I need to knock something off. Yeah, I agree. Because it's not a full Batman story. It's not your you traditional Batman has to go out, save the day kind of story. Uh, should we knock 0.25 off for not being traditional? Not necessarily. And if it's not necessarily, I'm going to go one. Because I, I don't know. This one feels weird because I think there's a story here that that Bruce Wayne needs to detect and he does a okay job of doing it. He eventually figures out the truth and maybe that's the victory that he's looking for here. 0.75 because Joker is the one who detects really well. That's true. 0.75. Villains. 
Joker detects really well. Joker, I'm going to go with a one. Joker Is Joker the final villain here? I don't think it is, because I actually think that Bruce Wayne is the final villain here. Yeah. In a lot of ways, and I think that's the appropriate way to do a Batman movie. I think everybody in this movie is against Bruce Wayne, except for maybe Commissioner Gordon, and then he just stops doing his job. Well, they just fridge him pretty early on, yeah. so he's not even that important. I'm going to go with a one. Yeah. Again, because again, it's... You have the Joker. You had to get your villain in there, your proper rogues gallery villain. Right. You have Phantasm, who we have no idea what's going on with the motivation there for a lot of it, and that's okay. Yeah. But Bruce Wayne is his own villain, and he time and time again says that and shows that. That's a one. Brings us to parents. They're famously dead. Famously dead. And so are Andreas. That's right. So let's just go with a cool one. Solid one. As cool as their dead bodies, it'll be perfect. Yep. And- as cool as it is to talk to them. Female characters. Andrea is one of the best female characters we've seen. I agree with that. She is incredibly strong. She is incredibly smart. Yes. She knows that she likes Bruce Wayne because they have a connection. But at the same time, she is strong enough to walk away from that because she has her own inner demons. Right. All of this is true. Unfortunately, she's the only woman in the movie. I don't care. And this is one of the rare times I will tell you I don't care about that. Because this movie is called Mask of the Phantasm, and she is the Phantasm. That's true. And she is a mystery in herself because, yeah, we figure it out as the audience pretty quickly that it's Andrea as the Phantasm. Yeah, I figured it out before I watched the movie thanks to the toys. Well, yeah, the toys are always going to get you. Mr. Kenner should go to hell. <laughs> but this movie doesn't treat a, I'm not even going to call it a botch reveal because it's not even about the reveal. Right. It's still about the motivation even at that point, and it still works, and she even sacrifices her own life and her own happiness in order to feel like she got her vengeance against people who were doing wrong by her father. Right. I'm going to go with a one again. I'm going to allow it. I don't care that she's the only one. That's the only thing that's really holding me back. That is, I mean, I'm not, I don't love that she's the only one, but uh, if you're going to have one, I guess make it the best character in the movie. I think that's fair. Setting. It's Gotham. It is Batman the Animated Series Gotham. It absolutely it is. It looks unbelievable. It did such a good job. They art decoed more than they've ever art decoed before. You're right, and I think that's why I should get a 1.5. A 1.5. Fun fact about that computer-generated 3D Gotham from the intro, it was originally designed to be used for the TV show because they wanted to use a virtual set instead of using the hand-painted backgrounds to save money on production. And then they just never used it. I'm happy they never used it, though. I think it works out so well. It made its impact for the movie much better. It does, because it's so different from the way that the animated series starts out. Right. Where you have that intro that just has the Danny Elfman music playing and doesn't even tell you that it's Batman animated series. It just is. It just exists. It's so good. Exactly. But I think that this Gotham is just so iconic. Absolutely. And it could be because we're 90s kids, but who cares about that? I hope... That people beyond the 90s also re- appreciate this Gotham to this day? I don't know. I, I don't have a frame of reference for that, but man, this is, this is always going to be Gotham to me. Absolutely. I completely agree. One five for setting. Style and tone. <laughs> Let's start at one again. I should. <laughs> again, I love the Gotham. I love how you have these little introductions that you have to set up for Bruce Wayne figuring out how he's going to become this Batman itself. But then at the same time, I love how you're able to have this modern day versus this flashback. And I don't even know how 
much of a time difference there is between the modern day and the flashback. I have no idea. Yeah, there's but no... But I don't think that's important. I don't think it's important either to know the difference in time. I just like they did these Citizen Kane-style flashbacks, and so many of them, and they all work. I love that it's modeled off of Citizen Kane. Like it 100% which is nuts is. nuts to me. I'm going to go one. Again. That's a one. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, and... I'm okay with it. It feels weird to invoke Citizen Kane in an animated movie, but it's appropriate. But here we are. Music. Shirley fucking Walker. Yes, 100% Shirley fucking Walker. Doing her best impression of Daniel fucking Elfman. Yes, because he set the tone for this. And then she ran with it. And she and is... ran with it masterfully. Yeah, and she does a lot of the music for the animated series, which all the music based off of that theme song that was... By Danny Elfman, originally four eighty nine, and uh, this this delivers, and it, they made it more epic than it is in the animated series. Absolutely, they did. They somehow managed to up their game, even though there wasn't a lot of game to up. Exactly, there was not a lot of room for improvement, and yet they found they were a way. at the top, and they somehow found more top. One again, easy one. One liners. There's not a lot that I'm going to be repeating for life. Agreed. There some that were just really good in the moment like i didn't count on being happy that's a i think that was probably the biggest line of the movie i think it was too i'm gonna go 0.25 because i think that emotionally hit really 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 hard yeah but there's nothing standing out right i totally agree with that impact on the genre this one's actually a little bit tricky because there's been a lot of animated dcau movies that came out after yes countless amounts countless so many this movie itself did not perform well in the box office. It did not. It, it was a $6 million budget. Opening weekend, it made $1.2 million about, and then it ended up grossing $5.6 million. So it didn't even That's make back right. its budget. But the filmmakers blamed Warner Brothers for that, saying that you only gave us eight months to make this thing because you wanted a Christmas release. You rushed this thing out. Which is insane for an animated movie. Because animated movies usually take two plus years to yeah. do. yeah. They did this thing from beginning to end in eight months. Even more impressive, on home release, this thing blew up. Uh, that's putting it really, really lightly. It blew up on home release, and it, it, they got three sequels to it, I believe, within Universe, before it spawned the entire DC animated universe. I think I want to go with a one and call it a day on that one. I think that's fair. Even though this actually spawned one of the best comics I've ever read, I think it's more of a graphic novel than a comic, I should say. But Paul Dini is a screenplay writer on this, and he's one of the masterminds behind Batman the Animated Series. Right. He wrote an unbelievable comic called Dark Knight, A True Batman Story, and it's a story about how he got mugged and beaten up and had to recover from that. And he was facing like all these inner demons himself while he was going through it, and it is just a roller coaster of emotions. It is so well written, so well drawn. I cannot recommend it enough to everybody. It's so good. Fascinating. Doesn't impact the industry at all. That's just me talking. Let's go with a one. I think one is appropriate. It's one of the most highly touted Batman movies, period. It's one of the most highly touted animated films. It spawned an entire animated department of Warner Brothers. For feature films. Which is insane to me because Warner Brothers obviously is one of the biggest production companies that there is. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't do a, a live action superhero movie for a while after this that had a theatrical release. But but still. That is going to give Batman Mask of the Phantasm a total score of 
A perfect 10. As it deserves. That's exactly where it belongs. We've talked about a lot of movies on this show that we just personally loved. The one that's standing up to me in my mind right away is Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Yes. And that movie hit me in just like a joyous spot because it's so funny and so well done and it told such a great story. This hit me in a similar way, but in like a proper filmmaking way. Right. A proper character-driven story. I think that this is one of the most perfect superhero movies. Hard stop yet again. Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. I like that it focuses on this motivation and this sacrifice storyline. It's a Bruce Wayne story. Exactly. It's not a Batman story. I think that's what differentiates it from anything, and it lands. Absolutely. And it says a lot about Warner Brothers animation in general, that three of the movies we've mentioned, this one, Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Lego Batman, all very good. We might be seeing some more Warner Brothers animated stuff in the future. We'll get there. So I guess the next question is, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to keep up this theme of phantasms and spooky stuff because it's October. We're going to be talking about Casper, the friendly ghost. We are. We're bringing on our own friendly ghost, Sean from the Experience Grind podcast. He is awfully pale. He's super duper pale and super duper friendly. So much friendliness happening next week. And I bet he looks weird when he turns into a human, like at the end of Casper. (laughs) Human Sean? I don't know about that. I've never heard about that in my life. Next week, Casper. Until then, thank you for listening, especially this month, where we're doing our big push for the Extra Life Foundation. Rate, review, subscribe. But more importantly, come join us on Patreon, where this month we are donating... 100% of this month's proceeds to Extra Life Foundation to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. It doesn't even matter if you just join for just October. Take your money back once November hits. I don't care. This is for a good cause. (laughs) Exactly. You can spend that dollar or that $5 or $10 or $30, whatever you want it to be. It doesn't matter. You get a bunch of extra content, 20 one episode's worth of content of stuff that we wanted to talk about. That's where it lives on Patreon. But every single dollar is going to a really, really, really good cause. You could join Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Every single dollar is going towards the Extra Life Foundation. Take back your dollar in November. I don't care. This is about raising money for the kids right now. Exactly. On that note, I want to thank Jeff Miners for your increase in donation this month. Jeff Majors. You're right. Jeff Majors. He got promoted. Congratulations, According to the Ginger Skull Dave Novak, (laughs) because apparently he has the authority to issue promotions now to folks' legal last names. That seems like something he would try to do. (laughs) That does seem like something he would try to do. If you have any questions or comments or want to suggest something for us to watch, because we've been getting a lot of that lately, calling us cowards and whatnot. It works, though. That's the worst part about it. Yeah, well, don't tell them that it works. (laughs) It doesn't work at all. We're strong. We'll fight you. Yeah, we're not cowards at all. Anyway, you can send all of that stuff to katepodcasters at gmail.com. We do have an email this week. Oh, okay. Comes to us from Stephen Baker. Hi, Stephen! Entitled Correction. Oh, oh, that's real cocky of you. I take back my hello. Yeah. He says, hello, boys. Hello. Don't don't say hello to no, him. No, I, I know you took it back. He's got a correction. Okay. I just finished listening to the Red Sonia episode. Kudos to you guys for getting through that movie. (laughs) I wanted to correct a mistake I heard, though. 
Dave referenced Dunstan checks in and says he likes monkeys. He's an orangutan. I know. Dunstan was a young orangutan, which is an ape, not a monkey. I shouldn't be surprised that Dave got that wrong. It's a testament to the New Jersey public school system. Which is number one in the country, you little bastard. Open a book and learn something, you uneducated fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Keep up the mediocre work. Sincerely, Steven. Sent from my iPhone. I wish I didn't love him as much as I do. I sincerely mean that. Corrections are on the table. Apparently. He's opened a dark, dark door. The Ginger Skull recently hit us with the pork roll Taylor hand correction, so. That was a whole Pogs and Slammer situation. That made sense. This. This is all about monkeys and apes. That's right. Orangutans. So if you have anything you want to say to us, just like Stephen Baker, email it to kpodcastersgmail.com or follow us on our social media at Kate Podcasters, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, we also put a post up for every episode asking for your questions and comments. Dave, do we have anything? We got a couple. Bill Hawkins wrote in. He said, would you rather have Kevin Conroy portray all the Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Deep Roy portray Bruce Wayne in all the Batman animated programs? He goes on to say, P.S., If you were to translate Kevin Conroy's name from Spanish to English, it would be Kevin with Roy. (laughs) Personally, I think I want Deep Roy as Batman. Why can't we live in a world where we have both? That's a better world, actually. I want that world. Just I choose that world for everything. Where you have Kevin Conroy singing Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, big fat stinking nincompoop, or whatever (laughs) they sang in that. That movie. You're so good at quotes. As Kevin Conroy, I'm not. I make them up as I go along because I can't remember quotes for the life of me. And I just roll with it. It's great. So, Phil, there you go. We want both of them. We want both. I don't want to have to choose. Both worlds are too perfect. So go and uh, tug on your balls. Yep. Give your give your balls a tug. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Miners. You know him as the guy who just upped his donation to give to the kids for the Extra Life Foundation, which benefits the Children's Miracle Networks that we're donating 100% to on Patreon. That guy- That is how I know him. He said, this movie looks incredible because what they did was take an already very stylish cartoon and gave it a movie budget. Which cartoon that already looks great would look even better with a movie budget? And I personally think we mentioned it already with Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Oh, that was excellent. I feel like this is more of a hypothetical question, though. And I kind of want to see a Harley Quinn movie. Based on the animated Absolutely. series that's there on HBO Max right now, because that series is unbelievably good. Yeah, phenomenal. There you go. That's the perfect answer, actually, right there. If I had to give a second one, it'd probably be Invincible. I would love to talk about Invincible one day, because that show does really, really interesting things, including the voice acting and the way it's animated and the... The purposeful stiffness of it. Yes, all of that. I think it really lands. It's a fascinating show. So there you go. Jeff Majors, thank you. Two answers for you. And Captain Spoiler Micah wrote in saying, with all due respect, Uh why hasn't the Jawless Wonder selected Time Cop yet? And what can we do to bribe him? Oh, it's all random, baby. It is all random, baby. But sometimes Roger likes to get his take in the form of Patreon donations. For the Extra Life Foundation, which benefits Children's Miracle Network, I'm thinking that maybe if we hit a certain goal of, I don't know, let's call it 250 bucks for a donation, we'll put up to a vote of all you listeners 
off the Ebert list, what do you want to hear? And we'll do the same thing at 375 and at 500. We'll let you guys program this show for what you guys want to hear based on the Roger Ebert list. I love that is that on Kate under sidekicks. You can see his full list of what's there. You should pick Lord of the Rings. Brian hates it. Oh, I hate it so much. And if you do, I'm going to be very angry. But what can I do if Roger Ebert picks it? We call that content, baby. Oh. When Brian's angry, that's content. I'm already dreading that thought. But yeah, go onto our Patreon and, and tell us what you want us to talk about. There will be a post up that you can comment on as you're there increasing your donation. Micah, thank you so much. Stop spoiling things, <laughs> but thank you. That's all I got, man. You got anything else? That's it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see you guys next week for Casper. Same pod time. Same pod, booby. Booby.